questions, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you ever had that thought about somebody or something somebody said? Well, last week we uh, celebrated Jesus Christ's amazing, glorious victory over death. Over death and sin through the resurrection of Christ. His resurrection from the dead, from the grave. And all through human history, no people has ever been able to conquer death. It is the one unconquerable enemy, isn't it? And no matter how advanced a society has become, no matter how brilliant that society's scholars were, no people has ever been able to escape death. And then here comes Jesus Christ, born in an animal shelter, to very ordinary parents, claiming to be the very Son of God, but yet put to death by evil men, and on that third day, he rises from the tomb with power and glory, making the guards faint like dead men. And so finally, we have the answer to death itself, the last enemy. We have the hope of the world. What else do we need? We have somebody who has conquered death and is the answer to eternal life. Now, you know, as I say this, we are all aware that so many people in the world do not believe our Christian message of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They just won't accept it. And they'll say, well, how could anyone rise from the dead? It sounds more like a fairy tale some people made up to gain a following, to get money from people. Now, those are the thoughts of people outside the church. Many don't believe in God at all. And many don't believe in the supernatural or the possibility of the miraculous. But then we have even church people who would claim to be Christians just automatically who will flat out tell you that there is no resurrection from the dead. They don't believe in the resurrection. And these people, they attend church, they sing hymns, they recite prayers, but they don't believe in the resurrection of Christ or anyone else. And then if all that isn't bad enough, we know there are individual members of dedicated Christian families who have stopped believing in the resurrection, stopped believing in the Bible as the Word of God. And maybe even stop believing that God exists at all. But you know, this morning, having just celebrated Easter last week, I want to take a look at a church in the Bible that was having some trouble in this area of the dead rising to life. And this church was founded by the greatest missionary that have ever, has ever lived. So they had every advantage. But we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first part of that chapter this morning. And we'll finish it up next week. <clears throat> but I want you to look with me now 
At the first two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Paul is saying, I need to remind you of the very belief that freed you and that you freely accepted when I came to you. It was the very gospel message he preached and the message that they willingly accepted and the message on which they took their stand, the message on which they staked their claim. And he says, it is the message by which you are saved if you hold on to it, if you truly believe it. And if not, you have believed in vain. If not, your faith is empty. It's useless. It has no substance. And there's no saving power in it unless you're attached to the gospel message. And then he goes in telling them the essence of that saving message. And we have to be certain, as we think of the gospel message, as we think of being a follower of Christ and what we believe, we have to make certain that our belief lines up with this, because this is what the gospel is all about. It's uh, verses 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, like born out of time sequence. So, according to the sacred scriptures, it says Christ died, and then he says, and was buried. That's the proof that he died. He makes the claim and then proves it. And then he says, <clears throat> and he rose again. And then he names, he, he names all these different witnesses. So his death was proven by his burial. And his resurrection was proven by all those witnesses. Hundreds of witnesses. Most of which are still alive, he says. People could go and even talk to them. And then he goes in to explain why well, he is the least of all the apostles because he uh, persecuted the church. But that is the message they accepted as true. That is the essence of the message which they accepted to receive forgiveness of sins and brought them forgiveness of sins. That's the message that took them to a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of living. They were living one way, you know, the pagan way. And this took them into a whole new world. The message that brings real meaning to someone's life. 
and answers. It answers so many questions that people have about life. This gospel message. It's the end of the road if you're searching. But now comes the problem. And the problem is when you just start accepting things that your culture believes or teaches. It's the problem of allowing ourselves to be swept into the stream of thought of those who don't really trust in God's word and don't really follow the Lord. And it's going to be in verses 12 through 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I think you can tell by my voice inflections how disturbed Paul was when he heard this. Paul is, wait a minute, when he hears the news. Are you telling me that some back in Corinth are saying there is no resurrection of the dead? How can they think that? You know, that was just coming from the culture, right? And Paul's thinking, how can that even be? How can they call themselves Christians? They believed in the message. Our whole faith and all of our hopes are based on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there is no such thing as the resurrection from the dead then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then Paul says we have been false witnesses about God because we said that he did raise Christ. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is empty. And you're still in your sins. No one is forgiven. And if Christ hasn't been raised, everyone who has already died believing in Christ is eternally lost. It was no good. Everything goes down the tubes if Christ hasn't been raised. And Christ could not have risen if there is no resurrection from the dead. You know, we can disagree and still be uh, good, solid friends and church members and that sort of thing. We can disagree on things like, when the rapture happens and the millennium and all that kind of stuff. But this, this message, this resurrection part is like you're throwing the whole package overboard. And he says, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are the most pitiful people in the world. 
Because we've staked it on a lie. That's how important the resurrection from the dead is. We can't be soft on this point, can we? No deals are struck on this point, on the belief in the resurrection. Everything rests upon the fact of the bodily resurrection from the dead. Some people would like to say, well, his spirit rose. That's not resurrection. Because everybody that dies, their spirit goes somewhere, right? Resurrection is the physical body coming up from the grave. And that's what Paul is saying very clearly, very emphatically. It's Christ's body that rose. And if someone laughs at that because we believe it, so be it. If someone makes fun of us because that's our position, that's their problem. And you see, this is something we cannot allow our culture to shape our thinking in. Some of the Corinthians were being swayed by the beliefs in their culture. You know, it isn't always easy to stand against the crowd, is it? It isn't always easy to take the heat or the ridicule for your Christian beliefs. But the Corinthians were being pulled into an extremely dangerous area, extremely dangerous territory. And it seems Paul just about lost it by finding out, however he did, that some in the Corinthian church were denying the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's something that kind of struck me. When Paul talked about what it would be like if the resurrection didn't happen, or if he was wrong about the resurrection, I, I turned it kind of the other way. Paul would say if he was wrong about the resurrection... It would make our preaching lies and useless, and your faith useless. It would take away any forgiveness of sins if the resurrection isn't true. It would condemn those who have already died. It would take away all of our hope past this life. And it would leave us followers of Christ the most pitiful people in the world. Now, I contrast that, you know, Paul's putting it out there on the line. He's saying, we believe in the resurrection from the dead. And if it's not true, we're sunk. That's him putting everything on the resurrection. Now, you know, when you think about maybe false teachers, false prophets that you've heard in the recent past, excuse me, And it could be, you know, people like David Koresh, Jim Jones, Marshall Applewhite, those kind of people. Did you ever hear them mention what the consequences would be if they were wrong? I've never heard any of them. If you watched a documentary or you read something about them, I've never heard any of them saying, and if I'm wrong, no, they make sure that nobody disagrees with them. And if anybody disagrees, they get put into the, you know, high chair or whatever. They, they, have to, they have to pay their dues. They take heavy control over people's lives and their thinking. Yet the Apostle Paul, he just lays it out. 
and he hides nothing. He goes, I'm preaching the resurrection from the dead, the bodily resurrection. Excuse me. And if it isn't true, we're sunk. But this is it. He preached that, excuse me, the, the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And if there is no resurrection, none of it matters. That's a pretty bold statement. He's laying himself on the line, everything for that one doctrine, the resurrection of Christ. So Paul's saying that it rests on the truth of the resurrection of Christ, which can't happen unless there is a resurrection of the dead. And now he explains why this hope and trust in the resurrection is sound. Listen as I read verses 20 through 26. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, there's an order, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom, of, the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. <clears throat> you see, the resurrection is not this flimsy doctrine with no substance, no reasoning behind it. It all fits into this well-ordered, completely thought-out plan of God. It all fits together and it all makes sense. It's very logical. You know, if you take God's power into consideration. It's God's resurrection plan. It's not just this, you know, whatever happens. It says Christ is the first fruits, meaning he is the guarantee for the rest of the crop. The first fruits was the first thing that came up of the crop. And it was rejoicing time because that guaranteed the rest of the crop coming up. And so when Christ comes up from the grave, that guarantees all his followers will come up from the grave. He's the first fruits. And just as we all became sinners through our human father Adam, which brought death, so now all who are in Christ will be made alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's very logical too. It's not just, it just happens. God had a plan. Through Adam, people died. Through Christ, we come back to life. You have to be, we are connected to Adam through our humanity and we're connected to Christ through our faith. It's very reasonable. And then God has this resurrection order. He says, first, the first fruits. Christ is the first fruits. He's been raised. Then when he returns to claim his kingdom, as he, as he returns to the earth, all the followers will be resurrected. And then he'll destroy all the powers, dominions, and authority to, who, who oppose, oppose his rule. And when he gets everything conquered, he hands the kingdom over to God, to the Father, and God will be all in all. Very orderly, very well planned out, step after step. 
And now Paul's going to tell them that if there is no resurrection from the dead, would we even begin to go to all the trouble that we're going through for the sake of the gospel? Look at 29 through 34. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? Now, that's been a tough one for Bible scholars to handle because there's no real record of Christian churches practicing baptism for the dead. But apparently what was happening, according to what the words look like, apparently what was happening was maybe some had accepted Christ and died before they could be baptized. And so others would do like a vicarious baptism, you know, to cover for them. It never became a tradition in the church. So, and it's not something that Paul is promoting. He's just saying, why would people even do this unless they believed in the resurrection from the dead? So that's what he's saying there. And as for us, he and his, his workers, you know, the ones that go with him, his ministers that go with him, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, sorry, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. And stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now, he talks about all that they went through to, to promote the gospel of the resurrection of Christ. And he's saying, why would we go through all of this? Do you think I would devote myself to such suffering, hardship, uh, loss, hurt, injuries, when there's no reward, no future? Man, if it was like that, let's just eat and drink. For tomorrow we pass out of existence, and there's nothing to go to. So, here's what he's saying. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. He's saying that these Corinthian believers are being led astray by those who do not know Christ. They are taking on the beliefs and values of their culture, of their neighbors, A culture that doesn't know the true God. A culture that doesn't follow the scriptures. A culture that has a whole different set of values than what Christians should have. A culture that does not have eternal life. He tells them to come back to their senses. When they came to Christ, they stepped into the light and they found a whole new way of living. They learned what truth really was and what it was all about. They learned what good morals were all about. 
what love really meant, what true friendship was, how to have a good marriage, how to raise families. They learned that selfishness was not the way to fulfillment, the way to make decisions or live your life. That immorality was not something to brag about. <clears throat> that using or abusing people was not something we should feel good about ourselves for. So Paul says, wake up. Turn your focus back on Christ. Come back to the light that opened your eyes to the truth. So there's some of you that are just ignorant of God. I say this to your shame because they're not learning about God in your, in your fellowship. We can't be much of a church if we're ignorant about God, can we? But that requires sincere effort, effort on our part, doesn't it? It requires us wanting to draw closer to God, to wanting to learn more about Him, to spend more time with Him, to get to getting to know Him better, to serve Him willingly. <clears throat> so here's where I think this leaves us. Some of the Corinthian churchgoers were holding to the most dangerous beliefs of their culture. From areas of immorality, as if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, to denying the resurrection of the dead, which empties the gospel message of its power. If there's no resurrection, there's no use believing in Christianity. And we may have even more dangers in our culture than they did. Because, you know, we have the idols of wealth, prosperity, the idol of success. Our culture is all about image enhancement. And it's so easy to get caught up in pleasure-seeking, enjoyments. And all these things can draw us away from devotion to Christ, can't they? Not saying that there can't be stuff that we enjoy, but what is our main pursuit? You know, we have almost endless access of entertainment choices, don't we? I mean, it's just all there at the fingertips. It's all there for the taking. So we really have to make the decision to put Christ as our priority. It's probably harder in this kind of a culture, this prosperous kind of a culture than in others. And to spend time in God's word, to think about the return of Jesus Christ, to look forward to the coming kingdom of Christ, to dream about the excitement of the new earth, <clears throat> the things we will get to do, the lives we will get to live, the people we will get to know. And I was talking this morning to some family members, but as Don was laying there, Don Hoyt was laying there in his last days, and it was hard. He, he, he was medicated, so he wasn't suffering intensely, but he was having a hard time breathing and that sort of thing. And I was just thinking... In one second, he's going to be in paradise. <laughs> I'm guessing that it's, it's just, you know, the, the, the transition 
is an instant, instantaneous. You breathe your last, you're with the Lord. And so that was just comforting to think about that just the, the contrast that there was going to be as he just, he's suffering and boom, he's in paradise. And that was comforting. So let's don't let unbelievers pass along their values to us. Let's pass our Christian values to them. It's harder going that way. Takes more effort. Takes more patience. But that's what we want to do, isn't it? And then let's help those who need help. And shine, show kindness to those who need kindness. And I know that I'm preaching to a lot of people who do that already. But I just want to encourage us to keep doing it and do it more. And give hope to those who despair. And never lose our focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Because we can get into, you know, should we do this thing, should we do that thing, and kind of lose focus on the resurrection of Christ. But if we keep that right before us, that's just, that's motivating. It's inspiring. And it's our future. It's the reward for coming to Christ and trusting in Him. Never lose our focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such an amazing hope that we have before us. We thank you for the love that sent Jesus to the cross and the love of Christ that endured the cross. And we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that there's so much proof for it. We thank you for hundreds of witnesses that saw Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, help us to share it, help us to spread it, and may many people come to know you because of our knowledge of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.